Hello, all you seductive femme fatales listening out there in the far reaches of the universe. This is Darby, and for this week's episode, I'm going to be doing a segment of History's Harlots and Heroes. This week, I'll be talking with you about the erotic dancer, courtesan, sugar baby, and international spy, Matahari. Welcome to The Babes of Elhala. Content may not be suitable if you are underaged, closed-minded, or immature. We discuss topics that are graphic and sexual in nature. So before we get into this, um, I've always loved the kind of tragic story of Matahari. She created something out of nothing. She made a life for herself. She became notorious. She's just a very interesting person. And there are a lot of things about her story that are still kind of unknown, that are mysteries that we probably will never know because there's a lot of conflicting reports. Now for this overview, I'm not getting into a lot of the politics of the time because this is during World War I. And there's also, again, like I said, kind of conflicting reports. So of course, we always ask that you guys do your own research. You guys read your own stuff. If you're interested in this story, you know, this is kind of just like a taste of, of her story and, and her life. There are a lot of great resources to learn more about her. Books, movies, TV shows, biographies, all sorts of things that kind of touch on her life. I mean, I would definitely challenge you to really look up some of the imagery of the time of her because her costumes and just really exotic kind of, I don't know, just the way that she was was so interesting and really unique. And you can kind of see, I think, a lot of influences from her um, in a lot of other areas, I guess. I hope that makes sense. I also have always really connected with her because I have done belly dancing and so did Charlie and we actually would perform all over the West Coast and did a whole bunch of stuff and we always really loved it. So it's also interesting because she kind of did something similar to that um, and brought that to Europe. So let's get into this. So Matahari was born as Marguerite Zell on August 7th, 1876. And she was a Leo, which if you aren't familiar, here are some Leo traits. I thought learning about her story and kind of also knowing about her astrology is kind of interesting. So Leo's strengths are creative, passionate, generous, warm-hearted, cheerful, and humorous. Weaknesses, arrogant, stubborn, self-centered, lazy, and inflexible. And Leo likes theater, taking holidays, being admired, expensive things, bright colors, fun with friends. And Leo dislikes being ignored, facing difficult reality, and not being treated like a king or a queen. Which, I don't know. I guess I just thought that given her story, it just sounded interesting. And I just kind of think, you know, think about that as we kind of go through this. So she was born in the Netherlands, and despite reports that she was part of Indonesian descent, she was in fact Dutch on both sides of her family. This is something I just wanted to note because she had kind of spun this tale about where she was from and everything, um, and she had a very unique look, and because she was doing this kind of performance that was seen as being very exotic, a lot of people said that she was Javanese or Indonesian. But in fact, she was Dutch and that was really just part of the tale that she kind of she kind of spun. But she was really good at creating that magic. And people really believed that. 
So scholars, though, have kind of gone back and researched and, and been like, no, she was actually Dutch, like, through and through. So at 18, Zell answered an advertisement in a Dutch newspaper placed by Dutch colonial army captain Rudolf McLeod and married him, moving to the Dutch East Indies. Her husband was a high-ranking officer, as well as an abusive alcoholic who beat her regularly. During this marriage, she studied the local culture intensely and joined a dance group. This is where she developed her alter ego, Matahari, which translates in the local language as the eye of the day or sun. She had two children with McLeod, both falling ill in 1899. Her son did not survive, but her daughter did. There's a lot of mystery around her children's illness. Her and her husband McLeod reported that it was a disgruntled servant who poisoned them, but there's also some ideas that it was actually enemies of McLeod that poisoned them. Just kind of interesting, but they were, I guess, poisoned with syphilis, which I think is also strange. So, uh, yeah. So after her um, son passed away, she left her husband in 1902, and with her daughter, Jeanne, they moved to Paris. McLeod refused to pay child support, and the two struggled to survive. She began performing in circuses and posing as an artist model, but it wasn't too long before she began building her brand as an exotic dancer. She danced provocatively on stage in lavish costumes that she slowly took off to eventually reveal her in a bejeweled breastplate, a full body stocking, and adornments on her arms and head. Because the body stocking was a close match with her skin color, she appeared to be nude. It's also been reported that she's never been photographed or performed um, totally naked because she was very self-conscious about the size of her breasts and felt like they were too small. So she always wore this breastplate and also um, that bodysuit. So she's been heralded as the one who took erotic dancing of the time and refined it and moved it into the upper echelons of society, something that Paris is well known for now. So for example, the Moulin Rouge. She was photographed many times during this period, and these photographs were later used in her ex-husband's custody case. Divorced from her husband officially in 1906, she was originally awarded custody until on a visit with his daughter, McLeod took Jeanne away with him and Zell was left without enough power or money to fight him on his claim. He actually steals her daughter, then uses the photographic evidence that he has of her kind of being the seductive um, performer and basically gets the courts to award him with custody because she is then deemed an unfit mother because she's using kind of her sexuality to um, gain employment and also she's kind of gaining this notoriety for it. And I, brought, I assume I would also say that because Jan was a, a young woman, they didn't want her kind of exposed to that. So her career choice ended up actually getting her um, daughter taken away from her. And I don't believe uh, that she ever gets her back. And her daughter actually passes away at the age of 21. And they believe that was also due to complications from the syphilis that she contracted as a child. While researching her, I loved reading the quotes from the press at the time about her dancing. So a Paris newspaper stated that Matahari was so feline, extremely feminine, majestically tragic, the thousand curves and movements of her body trembling a thousand rhythms. A Vienna journalist, after seeing one of her performances, wrote that Matahari was slender and tall with the flexible grace of a wild animal and with blue-black hair and that her face makes a strange foreign impression. Well, during her career, she danced at some of the most high-profile venues all over Europe until what would be her last performance in 1915. However, by the beginning of the decline of her career in 1912, which was reported as being because uh, she was gaining weight and so she wasn't booking as many shows, 
but she had become known as a courtesan, so a fancy word for a sugar baby, and really more for that and her kind of sexual pull and her eroticism. She still was kind of maintaining these really high-end relationships, and that was kind of the the arc of, of her career. You know, she's kind of moving into this really just full-time sugar baby kind of land, which is awesome. She had many relationships with high-profile politicians, high-ranking military, and other influential people from many countries. Because of the circles that she had entry to and the intimate nature of her relationship with these men, she soon became a target for government agencies as World War I drew closer. So Matahari, being a Dutch citizen, was in an unusual situation because the Netherlands stayed neutral in World War I. Because of this, she was allowed to move across the borders of Germany and France, when a Russian pilot, whom she had a romantic relationship with, Captain Vadim Maslov, whom Matahari claimed was the love of her life, was badly injured, she requested permission to see him. The French agents from the Deuxième Bureau used the injury to their advantage and would not allow her to see him until she agreed to spy for France. They tasked her to seduce the crown prince Wilhelm, next in line to be the Kaiser, for one million francs. In her attempt at gaining access to the crown prince, it is said she offered French secrets, whether for additional monetary gain from the Germans, or as she said, to get close to the crown prince, we will never know. The French agency, Deuxième Bureau, frustrated with her lack of results, turned on her, and using transmitted radio messages from Germany mentioning an H-21, they accused her of spying for Germany and being a traitor to France. So basically, in these ra transmitted radio messages, they kept talking about an agent whose code word was H-21. And because of her location that they knew of and the location that they were talking about on the radio of H-21, they said that it was obviously had to be, you know, Matahari. But they didn't really ever have any real evidence. The French bureau, Deuxième Bureau, actually ended up setting Matahari up um, to be able to accuse her of being a traitor. So on February 13, 1970, Matahari was arrested in her room at the Hotel Elysee Palace. She was put on trial on July 24th and accused of spying for Germany and consequently causing the deaths of at least 50,000 soldiers. Although the French and British intelligence suspected her of spying for Germany, neither could produce definite evidence against her. Supposedly, Secret ink was found in her room, which was incriminating evidence in that period. She contended that it was part of her makeup. During her trial, the prosecution built a case that she was a dangerous femme fatale, using her sexuality to manipulate men to get what she wanted. She was reported to have passionately insisted on her innocence and her devotion to her adoptive home country of France. But in the end, she was executed by firing squad on October 15, 1917. There are several reports that she met her end bravely. She refused a blindfold, and blew a kiss before she was executed. So I've always loved the tragic story of Matahari. I mean, she was an amazing erotic performer that created an entirely new identity for herself that put her in the position for financial gain and notoriety. She was a sugar baby of the early 20th century, and she only had honey daddies. Of course, especially at this time, you know, in one moment, she was celebrated for her sensuality and eroticism. She was also manipulated and ultimately punished for it and twisted up as a dangerous, cunning, and distrustful woman. She's an extreme example, I think, of a lot of our experiences as sex workers and the razor edge that we walk. I also wanted to point out that while she did completely take on the cultural identity of the, you know, Dutch East Indies, took this and she kind of put it on herself and created this new identity and this new kind of 
you know, background for herself. Even though that's not something obviously that we're promoting, especially now with being much more sensitive to that. I think it's interesting that she was able to do it so successfully. And by all reports, she really loved and respected, you know, the culture and the dance, the kind of fashion styles of that place. And while she was there with her husband, McLeo, you know, she spent tireless energy, just a, a lot of time really understanding and learning the culture, which I also thought was very interesting. Because Matahari was a character that she was playing, which I think we all kind of do that. Uh, you know, we kind of come up with, you know, our dancer names or whatever our alter egos are. Even if we use our government names, you know, we come up with something because it's a performance, you know, constantly. And I really love that about her story that she really just created this kind of otherworldly presence. She was just such a mysterious and you know, kind of a force to be reckoned with. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of add that in. I wanted to end this episode with a phrase attributed to Matahari during the trial. A harlot? Yes. But a traitorous? Never. In the meantime, to soothe your aching loins, you can find us on Instagram at Babes of Valhalla. If you have an antidote for an upcoming episode, or maybe you just want to say hi, email us at babesofvalhalla at gmail.com. We are also currently sending out free sticker packs, so send us your mailing info and we will send you a package full of Babes of Valhalla goodies, including stickers, all sorts of stuff, some artwork from myself. Uh, they are limited and it's first come, first serve. So you can email us, DM us, any of that stuff, and we'll go ahead and send it to you. Until next time, stay nasty. Babes of Valhalla is written and produced by the Babes of Valhalla, otherwise known as your illustrious lieges, Darby and Charlie. Music provided by the musical genius, Gemini Genesis.